Good afternoon. It is one o'clock. I'm Jacqueline LaBelle in downtown London. Mix of sun and cloud, seven degrees. This just in to the 980 CFPL News Center. A London man is facing impaired driving charges following a serious crash this morning on Springbank Drive. Police say at roughly 1230 this morning, a westbound SUV crossed the center line, striking an eastbound Mini Cooper. The driver and passenger of the Mini Cooper were taken to hospital with serious injuries. The male driver is in good condition, while the female passenger is in fair condition. The driver of the SUV was located a short distance away. Erin, who lives just meters from where the crash happened, says she was watching a movie at home when she heard the crash. The house like rumbled and I heard a big like smacking sound. It was insane. So I looked out the window and saw these cars here and then the collision and I didn't really know what was going on. So I kind of came downstairs and there was a bunch of like commotion and stuff happening. So it was pretty scary. A 32-year-old man is charged with two counts of impaired driving causing bodily harm and one count of impaired exceeding blood alcohol concentration. The OPP says a stretch of Oxford Road 6 is closed east of Ingersoll after a fatal crash. Officers say they were called around 10 o'clock to a collision between a big rig and a sedan at Beachville Road and Folden's Line, Oxford Road 6. Police say one person was pronounced dead at the scene. Oxford Road 6 is closed between Beachville Road and the 401. Elgin OPP say a 15-year-old boy is facing a charge of cruelty to animals. Officers say the alleged offense has to do with killing animals. The teen from Malahide was arrested Monday and appeared in court in St. Thomas on Tuesday for a bail hearing. Officers say they are unable to share further details as the case is now before the courts. Brace yourself. More expensive gas is coming our way. The lowest gas price in London right now is 100.8 a liter at an East End Petro on Crumlin Side Road. And you'll want to fill your tank somewhere in the city before the weekend's over. Dan McTagg, a senior petroleum analyst with GasBuddy.com, says a carbon tax kicking in Sunday at midnight will raise gas prices by five cents. Once you get comfortable seeing that number around the city, he tells 980 CFBL there will be a second, more expensive increase in the middle of April. The uh, switchover from winter to summer gasoline takes place. That will add an, yet another 10 cents a litre to the price of fuel. So, you know, you're paying at buck 19, buck 18 right now. Look for a net 10 cent a litre increase by the 15th of April. And uh, that doesn't include what I think the market is about to do, break out uh, with another 5 to 8 cents a litre in the month of April heading towards May. McTagg says a pinch at the pumps is being felt everywhere. He chalks it up to strong demand in the U.S. and a tightening oil supply across the globe. Ontario is launching a new mental health supports for provincial police officers after more than a dozen have died by suicide in recent years. Community Safety and Correctional Services Minister Sylvia Jones says the Ontario Provincial Police are facing a mental health crisis with 13 officers having taken their own lives since 2012. It is estimated that over a 30-year career, a frontline police officer is exposed to more than 900 traumatic events. These can include very serious incidents, such as a fatal car crash, murder victims, sexual assault victims, and child fatalities. The province will partner with the Ontario Provincial Police Association to deliver the program, which will soon be put out for tender. You're listening to 980 CFPL. Is it Friday already? That's what this calendar says. Is it right? How about this phone? Yeah, it says Friday. That screen right there says Friday. I'm thinking it might be Friday. 
Don't tell anybody. I'm Mike Stubbs. Thanks to Devin Peacock for doing the show yesterday. Andrew Graham with us today. We are brought to you, as always, by Courtesy Ford Lincoln. And we've got a lot to do. We are going to talk about the economic impact of the London Convention Center. We are going to talk about the population explosion in the city of London. Where is this coming from? We'll break that down in about two minutes from now with the help of someone who can break this down for us. We're going to talk with Andrew Galloway, who is an interventionist on Intervention Canada. He's somebody that has... A very interesting life story, and he'll share some of that with us, and he'll talk about how he's trying to help people because of that. The Spoons will be on the show today. You remember the Spoons. That will be in your head all weekend. You are welcome. That is a great tune. We will go back to the 80s and then fast forward to today with Sandy Horn. Of the Spoons. We'll find out what she has been doing, what she is doing now. Mark Jordan, speaking of the music industry, he is on the show today. Boy, this guy would have grown up with all kinds of great artists around him. Since then, he has done some recording himself, but he's also done some songwriting for you name it. Rod Stewart is written for him. Uh, the list is long, and we'll get into that in about an hour from now when we talk with Mark Jordan. We will talk about the London Knights. We are also going to find out how we can all win the Toronto Blue Jays 50-50 without going to the game this weekend. There is something new. You know how 50-50s have taken off? And when you go to some games now, you can actually see the total. This has been happening for a while outside of Ontario. They had to figure out how to get that done in Ontario. And it's not quite the same as it is in certain provinces. If you go to Alberta, they just have a running tally. And that has created some massive jackpots. Well, the Toronto Blue Jays are opening up their 50-50 to all of us. You don't even have to go to the game. You can. They're playing the Tigers this weekend. If you're looking for something to do, that's something to do. We have all of the games for you this weekend on 980 CFPL. Tonight, Jays and Tigers starting at 7 o'clock. But you can actually buy 50-50 tickets online, and you could win. And this weekend, I still don't know. I think it's true because I've seen the information that says it's true. But this weekend, they're offering up a $500,000 minimum on Sunday for one of their jackpots. Before the end of the show, just to make this a really good news Friday, we'll check in on that with the Blue Jays Care Foundation. This $500,000, and anybody in Ontario can have a shot at this. I think you have to be 18. But anybody over the age of 18 in Ontario has a shot at this? Amazing. Whew, that is booming. Maybe booming just as much as this city. Have you seen the latest totals? Yes, we are the fifth fastest growing city in the province. So, What? London? Do we have new industry that has sprung up? Where is this coming from? Let's understand some of the numbers in behind London's population growth. Dr. Don Kerr joins us as we kick off hopefully a good news Friday on London Live. Dr. Kerr is a demographer and a professor at King's University College as we look at this population growth. Dr. Kerr, happy Friday. How are you? Great, actually, given that it's Friday. Yeah, I'm feeling pretty good. Good, good. Beautiful spring day. Yeah. Well, should the city of London be feeling good that we finally are seeing population growth? Because it's something I think many people have been waiting for, maybe even hoping for. Yeah, let's become a bigger city. But 
When you look at the numbers, what do you see? Yeah, well, actually, uh, I tend to agree with the sentiment, the general sentiment that we have some good news here. You know, the we haven't seen population growth like this. I'm just looking at the time series in front of me, right? We haven't seen growth like this since the early 90s, right? Like back around nine, early 90s, late 80s, our city was growing at a, a rapid pace. The recession hit in the early 90s. Our growth rate plummeted. Never really recovered much right through to the current century. The recession in 2008 hit, and our growth rate <laughs> declined even further, we were seeing hardly any growth there for a while, less than half a percent a year. And then over the last three years now, we've seen steady increase. And yeah, back up to 2.4% this past year, 2017, 2018. We haven't seen anything like that since 1991. So it's a good sign, I would say. Uh, who knows it, whether it's going to continue or not. It's really hard to, to predict, but it, it's, an, it's an encouraging sign. If we look at the numbers, it puts us as the fifth fastest growing community. So in behind Peterborough, Kitchener, Cambridge, Waterloo, Ottawa, Gatineau, Windsor, but then it's right. London. And you could right. look and, and try and identify what it is that is making those communities grow. Can you point to anything yeah. for London? Well, you know, it's, yeah, and we're growing faster than Toronto. Can you believe it? The metropolitan area of Toronto this past year, we've grown faster. Uh, yeah, we have some, some information on that. You know, Stats Canada does a really good job in actually documenting on an annual basis uh, population change for our city and other cities and, and what's driving it in terms of the basic demography involved. And one thing we know for sure is that we're not experiencing a baby boom here. Right, because the total number of births has remained relatively stable for the longest time. And actually, if you think of what's called uh, natural increase, the difference between uh, births and deaths, that's actually declining as our population ages, right? In fact, more people are, are dying every year in London than in the past. It's not because we're getting healthier, it's just that our population is aging. So natural increase was, is hardly gr- explaining any of our growth. It's less than 10% of our growth. It's all migration hmm. that's really driving it. So migration, migration from both. Yeah, from, yeah. I guess, migration from where? You mentioned Toronto is not necessarily growing, but I, I know in the past people have said, go west, young people, go go yeah, find yeah. fame and fortune yeah. out west. Yeah. 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 Seeing well, less of know, that? Like, I, I, I didn't mean to leave the impression, I'm sorry if I did, that Toronto's not growing. It's still growing rapidly. It's just that we, we're growing slightly more rapidly now uh, over the last couple of years, which is really surprising. But um, uh, actually, you can break it down in terms of both uh, international migration and internal migration. Something to keep in mind that over half of our growth right now is, in fact, international migration, right? People coming in from other countries. And then roughly... of our growth is due to uh, internal migration, people coming in from other parts of Ontario and from other provinces to a certain extent as well. Now, that's unheard of. Like after the uh, 2008 turn or uh, uh, recession, it really hit our our city hard, and we were losing people. You know, every year we're losing people to the western provinces. Uh, People are going to Alberta, people are going to Saskatchewan, other places where there are good economic opportunities. Now, most recently, that's turned around, and we, we're getting a net gain in terms of population from other provinces, which we haven't seen for some time. But even more of the growth is coming from other parts of on, Ontario, 
right? So, I mean, we've always received people coming from, you know, small towns surrounding our city, you know, West Lorne or Godrich or whatnot. Young adults will leave those places and seeking economic opportunities, education in in the bigger city. But we're also likely experiencing some of this uh, spillover of Toronto's growth, right? So, yeah, this is this is this is. Uh, you know, again, it's quite a dramatic shift that we're seeing in terms of migration from other parts of the province. Because, again, you know, just after the last recession, we're hardly getting anybody from other parts of the province, right? So it's, it's an encouraging sign. We're talking with Dr. Don Kerr, demographer and a professor at King's University College, looking at the fact that London is growing and growing at a very fast rate when compared to a lot of other communities in this province. And right now we're sitting at at the fifth fastest if we look at uh, the latest statistics. Sustainability is one of those words that I'm sure you deal with on a really regular basis. What would you look for in saying this is sustainable? Well... Certainly, if we're seeing population growth, we're going to hope for employment growth as well. Uh, the unemployment rate's relatively low right now in our, in our city, so that's encouraging. It's around 6%. It's hard to see it get much lower than that. But we really haven't seen the employment growth that we might hope for. So uh, while our population is growing, let's hope that, uh, that uh, we'll see the jobs that can accommodate that population growth. Right. Right. Uh, you know, they're, they're, it's, I, I think we're in a, I'd prefer to be in a situation whereby the population is increasing than the opposite, right? To be living in a city where the population is in decline, right? So we, we have to accommodate that growth, uh, with proper, uh, you know, municipal planning and so on. I think we can, um, I'm sure the city is certainly paying attention to this. Dr. Kerr, I guess in closing, if we look at the growth of London, Ontario, and the speed at which we're seeing it happen. Do we see this as a positive or not a positive? Which way do you look at it? One would have to think of population growth as being somewhat of a a stimulus for the local economy, right? Okay. I mean, if you have more people moving in, I mean, that's got to be a good sign for for a lot of people who are trying to to make ends meet here locally i mean let's let's consider somebody working in construction for example right i mean uh more people are moving in we have to accommodate that clearly uh, you know this population growth that we've seen over the last 2 to 3 years is certainly relevant to the boom that we've seen in construction right it's certainly relevant to the what the changes in terms of the cost of housing as well that we've seen many realtors are quite excited about this right so, I mean, as the population gets larger, it's a stimulus. It's an economic stimulus. I mean, people are going to buy homes. The vacancy rate in our apartments has gone down a bit. I, if, uh, the vacancy rate of apartments has gone down somewhat in the city. That's a challenge, right, in terms of affordable housing. But, I mean, as the population grows, it's an economic stimulus. People buy, buy homes. They rent apartments. You know, they gotta they got to buy refrigerators and stoves and appliances for all those homes. I mean, uh, it, you know, if you're trying to sell products or services locally, I mean, this would have to be a good sign. Dr. Curry, it has been a pleasure speaking with you this afternoon. Thanks so much. Dr. Don Kerr, he is...
a demographer, professor at King's University College, as we talk about a little bit of a boom in population for the city of London. It is a good news Friday. In a moment, you are going to meet somebody who is doing incredibly good things. I don't think good is enough of a word. I don't even think great is enough of a word. Imagine being in a place in your life where things were not very easy, where life was not going in the direction maybe you had hoped it would. And now you're trying to help people get out of that same path that you were on yourself. We're going to meet Andrew Galloway next on London Live and Global News Radio 980 CFBL. We are very lucky on London Live that we get to meet some incredible people, fascinating individuals. And some of the best stories come from anyone who has been in one place and something was not going right. In fact, something may have been very destructive and they have found a way out of it. The inspiration you can gain is pretty amazing. And there was a show called Intervention Canada. And you are going to meet a guy right now who is on that show as it begins to come out. And his name is Andrew Galloway. Andrew seemed to have it all. To his friends, yeah, he had everything. He was in his mid-20s. He was making good money. He had everything. And then all of a sudden, the other part of his life kind of came to the surface. Please welcome to London Live, Andrew Galloway. Andrew, thanks for taking some time for us. Oh, no problem. Thanks for having me. Can you describe your life at 25 right now? What was going on? Uh, one time ago, at 25, I, uh, I had my own company with a partner, and uh, we had a number of employees. I was actually in the financial industry. Uh, we were living in Vancouver, so I was in the office by 6 a.m. and finishing work at 2. And, you know, I, I took five companies public. Um, so I was doing fairly well on the outside. On the inside, I was dying. How um, so? Well, it's just filled with shame and guilt. Um, you know, on, even for my whole life, I've presented really well. You know, I was quarterback of a football team. I went to a private boys' school. I had lots of friends. But I had this, this voice in my head that was telling me always, I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy, I'm not lovable. Uh, and, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, I found drugs work. I mean, that's why we use them. They work, right, until they don't. So let's let's talk about what drugs were in your life. Uh, now we've got a lot of people who say, "Hey, yeah, I smoke a little bit of pot." You were in a different spot. Yeah, you know, I mean, it started with cigarettes and then alcohol and pot and then mushrooms and LSD and you know some opioids and finished with uh, freebasing cocaine or crack cocaine is where I ended up. And uh, you know, it took my soul. It took my soul. How do you get into doing crack cocaine when you are somebody who is as successful as you just described? You know, the first time I did crack was I was in my house. I had a beautiful house in the water with a swimming pool and a fancy car in the driveway. And I had a half ounce of cocaine on the table and a, and a nice bottle of red wine. And I was watching 60 Minutes. And it was on the crack epidemic in America. And my brain said, wow, that drug must be good. Look what these people are doing. You know, they're, they're throwing everything away to get this drug. And they basically showed me how to make it. And I went into my kitchen and made it. And... uh that one hit changed everything. I mean, I was already in trouble, don't get me wrong. I was a cocaine addict at the time. But I moved from cocaine, which is sort of you know, like skiing in Collingwood, to skiing in Whistler doing crack. You know, it's, it's just a whole other level. 
Andrew Galloway joining us. Andrew is on Intervention Canada. It is a documentary series, and it takes a look at Canadians and their addictions to drugs, alcohol, what it does to their lives, where their lives are going. And Andrew has become an interventionist, working to keep people from going down these kinds of paths that sometimes do end up in ruin. Yours did not, but seriously, doing crack on a regular basis, what happened to your life? Well, you know, eventually I was unemployed and lost a lot of my friends, even though my friends didn't know I was doing that. Uh, they just knew something was up, so I lost a lot of friends. I was pretending to work. And uh, just before I asked for help, I had a couple of seizures and woke up on a Sunday morning going, my God, I can't believe I'm alive, and somehow managed to get myself down to my parents, knock on the door, burst into tears, and ask for help, which was the hardest thing I've ever done, because you just filled with so much shame. I had so much shame, I used to brush my teeth in the shower just so I didn't have to look in the mirror. Um, but that day, that moment of clarity changed my life. You know, I was in treatment uh, 24 hours later and spent five and a half months in rehab. And then you came out of rehab, and you could have gone back and probably built yourself a new company. You're doing something different right now. How come? Well, you know, interestingly enough, I went back to work in the financial markets and realized, you know, it wasn't me. It wasn't what I enjoyed doing, and I, that I enjoyed sort of telling people my story and trying to help people. So I went back to university and got a degree in addictions, and next thing I know, I'm trained in interventions, and I started doing those and individual counseling, and felt good about it and felt rewarded, and, and it was great to see, you know, other people change, too. Um, you know, I figure if I can do it, anybody can do it. Andrew Galloway with us. Look for the show Intervention Canada because Andrew will be talking with people who are on very dangerous roads. Andrew, you would be one to answer this question, but you always hear that if you are someone who is struggling with an addiction, you yourself have to hit rock bottom or nothing changes. And you just described going into seizure, waking up, and and making that conscious decision yourself to go and ask for help. How true is that? Well, rock bottom is dead. So, you know, the, the whole point of an intervention is to raise it from there, right? And what we do is we get to get our family and friends together, and, and they've usually tried everything else in the past. And this time, though, we go from a loving, caring place. And rather than pointing fingers and saying, you're doing too much drugs or you're drinking too much, we go, look, we love you, but this is what your addiction is doing to us. You know, I lay at night, you know, lay asleep or trying to sleep at night. And I can't fall asleep. You know, it's costing me money. We really tell the addict how much it's affecting us and our feelings because they can't argue with that. You can't argue with I am sad. Right. And so for the first time, they kind of get out of the little world and realize, wow, their addiction is really affecting all the people that they care about, too. And we ask them to go and get some help. And some some will take help then. And then. If they're not going to take help, then we sort of change the family pattern by saying, okay, well, we're no longer going to give you money for food. We're no longer going to let you sleep on the couch. So we're no longer going to enable you to continue this behavior with the hope that then they'd either decide to go to treatment or if they don't, they're going to spiral some more and maybe get a little closer to the rock bottom and realize, wow, I have lost everything now. I need to do something. And they pick up their phone and they call their parents or their, their partner and say, I need help, and we put them in treatment then. What if That's they don't pick up? Work. But what if they don't pick up that phone? I mean, there's always that danger that they they wouldn't then. Well, the reality is, in you know, in my professional career, I'd say majority are dead within two years. Wow, That's the scary part. Interventions are about ninety percent successful, 
and it shows the same statistics as someone who comes like I did to their parents and say, I want some help. They have the same success rate in treatment as a person that asked for help. So interventions can be life-changing for a family. And they're done as much for the family, too. You've got to remember, this family is in so much pain. And no matter what ends up happening, at least they know they've now done everything they possibly could to help their loved one. Andrew Galloway with us on London Live. Intervention Candle is going into Season 5. You can find it on T&E. And, Andrew, please keep up the great work that you are doing. Thanks for spending some time with us. Thanks for having me. Have a great day. Take care. Wow. You wake up and you say, I need help. And it does happen. And for those that it doesn't happen for, Andrew's trying to get in and, and kind of help that process to take place. We're going to take a break for news. Jacqueline LaBelle is next. And then after news, we are going to head back into the 80s. But at the same time, we're going to be able to stay right in the present. No time machines today. It's not Time Machine Friday. It is Good News Friday. The Spoons will join us, at least one half of The Spoons. We'll get a chance to talk with Sandy Horn as we go back to some good, solid 80s music. One of the catchiest tunes that the decade provided. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. We're going to be talking economic impact in just a little while. This winds up being a good news day. London Convention Center hosts all kinds of events, and we've got some details on how last year went at the London Convention Center. So if you happen to pop by to an event, we have the London Sports Celebrity Dinner and Auction coming up on Monday, as a matter of fact, in support of the Thames Valley Children's Center. And so there's yet another event. But the number of days out of the year that that is booked is pretty impressive, especially when you look around. Because you know what some convention centers get called? Yeah, the old proverbial white elephant. I don't even know where that name comes from. Does anybody know where that term comes from? Ah, that's just an old white elephant. Okay, uh, isn't that kind of cool? <laughs> if I saw a white elephant, I'd, I'd probably be impressed. Wow, most elephants are gray. This one isn't. That's kind of neat. So I don't know where that term comes from. But in other words, they don't have the success that we have had here in London. So we'll get details on that. Mark Jordan is going to join us on the show, a Canadian music legend who has worked with just about everybody. We'll talk some hockey and some sweeps in the Ontario Hockey League. We'll talk about how you can actually take part in the Toronto Blue Jays 50-50 by sitting on your couch. Nope, don't get up. Nope, stop. Don't get up. Just sit on your couch, listen to the game on 980 CFPL, watch the game, and participate in the 50-50. And this right here, and this is why I want to do more investigation into this, this right here, this line, says that Sunday they are guaranteeing that the 50-50 is going to be worth $500,000. That's just the minimum. So it could be bigger. What? Don't get up. Take part in the 50-50. Okay, that's that's in about an hour from now. We'll figure that one out because we're pretty lucky right now. If you are a fan of 80s music, if you're a fan of music, period, then let me take you back in time. Is there a song that embodies the 80s more than romantic traffic? By the Spoons? I don't think there is. And the Spoons are actually out with something brand new. 
New day, new world. But right now, right this very second, on this day, we get to talk with Sandy Horn on London Live from the Spoons. Sandy, great to have you with us. Hey, hi, Mike. How's it going? I am fantastic. That I, I have loved the song Romantic Traffic forever. Do you ever listen to that on your own, or is that just weird? Uh, well, I don't sit at home and listen to it, but I often hear it in, on the radio, especially during traffic and rush hour. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. <laughs> I was showing some of the newsroom the video, and everybody was commenting on the 80s hair. That may be the best collection of people with true 80s hair. I know. <laughs> Do you... We, do you we miss had 80s hair? Products back then. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. There was there'd be a lot of hairspray on some of the subways that you were shooting the scenes on because to get that hair you'd you'd almost have to add the Did you have to like reapply hairspray during the day? Well, quite often, yes, but then it would get so thick that you go to sleep at night and then you get up and you have a flat spot. You just kind of give a little push and it's back to normal. <laughs> Sandy Horn with us from the Spoons. Sandy, talk to us about what it was like to be in the music industry and producing music like Romantic Traffic or like the albums you were putting out? Well, the 80s to me was, you know, uh, a wonderful time. And we often refer to it as 10 years of Halloween um, because you always got to dress up and, you know, put lots of makeup and guy liner on for the guys. and <laughs> um, You know, your hair, your clothes were, you know, the more outrageous you were, the better off you were. Um, that part was an awful lot of fun. Um, I miss the 80s in some regards. Um, but uh, making music back then, it was, you know, everybody knows everybody even till today in the music industry. Um, a lot of the bands were, you know, catching up with, like Flock of Seagulls, we worked with back in the 80s. Now Gord is the guitar player for Flock of Seagulls, so we're doing Spoons, and then he's off flocking around. And then, <laughs> So you can um, combine the two bands now because the bands have actually combined themselves? Yes. Basically, and, and and yeah, and, and occasionally Mike Score from Flock of Seagulls, who lives in Florida actually, uh, comes up and uh, he'll do some dates with us, like sh- uh, songs with us up on stage, and we're, we're kind of Flock of Spoons. We're talking with Sammy Horn from, I guess, The Spoons, but also Flock of Spoons on London Live. <laughs> Sandy, you also got into a lot of other music projects, even after kind of the, the 80s run came to an end and before you got back together and, and started doing what you are doing now. You got involved in, in a lot of Aboriginal music. Can you take us through that experience? Uh, yeah, I'm still doing that. I work with a First Nations elder. Her name's Shannon Thunderbird. Uh, she's West Coast Simpshian. Uh Northern BC is where she's originally from, the Totem Pole area. Um, and uh, I met her, gee, in year, the year 2000, and uh, I've been working with her ever since. I recorded an album with her, helped her record her first album, and now I drum and sing with her. And the idea is bringing two cultures to get together, the white nation and the red nation, and sharing in, in ways, you know, trying to bridge the, the gap that's been there for so long. Wow. Now, how do you find that that has gone? When you, when you put an album together, you have hopes for it. What has come out of it? Uh, doing the album in Aboriginal or Spoons? In the, oh, sorry, in the, <laughs> it, doing the, the Aboriginal work. Um, it, it's a lot of fun. Um, Shannon and I write songs together. Uh, she allows my input, and uh, you know I've learned to do a lot of native chanting. I've learned a lot of things for ceremony. We obviously don't do ceremonial songs when we're out in the public, but 
um, yeah, so we work in schools mostly, bringing the drum in to the schools, teaching about the heartbeat of Mother Earth and looking after Mother Earth with the students. We usually do about 600 kids a day. We're talking, we do it. we're talking with Sandy Horn from The Spoons and the Flock of Spoons, as <laughs> Gord, who's also a member of The Spoons, has become the guitarist of Flock of Seagulls. So let's take the career around to there, because we do see so much nostalgia. I mean, I don't know what it is, but now good music is just good music. It isn't, well, it's the time for pop, or it's the time for metal, or it's the time for, you know, hip-hop. Good music is good music and you see playlists of young people and they will stretch across all decades in order to put music together what brought you back around to doing new things as the spoons uh a lot for that same reason um the younger generation has discovered the 80s music so to speak and is bridging us through uh, we have a lot to thank them plus our old fans they were kind of beating us up over Facebook going, when are you putting out a new album? When are you putting out a new album? So over our last album was out in 2011, Static and Transmission, and this one has been progressing for the last eight years because it's taken uh, time between all our different other projects that we've been working on um, to come out. But uh, we're really excited about New Day, New World because it bridged some of our old ways of writing um, and it brings back the doot doot from Romantic Traffic, two songs that actually have that in it. Um, and then we have a song on there that we really enjoy playing uh, called um, All the Wrong Things in the Right Places. And it's <laughs> kind of a younger generation song, I would say. It's got a lot of punch to it. And we've gotten a great feedback from uh, you know y- younger listeners, especially. And then when we play it live, we've had two shows already now, sold-out shows, and uh, the audience loves all the material. It's great. What's it like being back touring? Well, the funny thing is, is we never really stopped because we've always had like shows once or twice a month or once every six months or whatever, going across Canada doing casinos or large performances. So we've never really stopped. But now there's the big push to, to really get out there and um, double up with other bands. We've played with Platinum Blonde. Um, Alan through uh, Glass Tiger, obviously Flock of Seagulls, um, and, uh, and there's talk we might be working with Kim Mitchell, doing some dates with him. Now so you... every, everything's bridging together. <laughs> exactly. We're talking with Sandy Horn with the Spoons. Check out New Day, New World. You mentioned the Doot Doos. Is there a story behind where that first became a part of, say, romantic traffic back in the 80s, but now the yeah. new songs? There is actually a funny story. Is um, Nile Rogers produced uh, the Talkback album, and then uh, the record company wanted two stronger songs, so we wrote, wrote Romantic Traffic and Town of Lies, and he did those with us in New York at the Power Station. And because it was kind of in a rush writing the songs, Gord couldn't come up with any words in that section except for the do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. So <laughs> um, he kept trying to come up with lyrics, and Nile says, no, no, man, just leave it. It's good. I like it. Just leave it. Do 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 it. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, and that's why it stuck. And then you bring it back into songs now. What what made the decision to do that? Probably the same reason they couldn't come up with any more lyrics. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, Sandy, it's been fantastic talking with you. Uh, we can look forward to seeing the spoons playing all over the place and uh, and maybe even Flock of Spoons at times. Are you still touring with Flock of Seagulls? Um, we get spot dates. We're talking about sometime in November we might be doing across Canada again with, with the Seagulls. So fingers crossed. We'll look out for it. We got an email from Ron, and Ron says that a few years ago, he was hanging out with musicians. They were holding jam sessions at the Canadian Corps on Dundas in the late 90s, early 2000s. And he wanted to say a big hello to you because you were invited to that at one point. So big hello from Ron before we go. Sandy, thanks so much. Best of luck with everything. Thank you. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's Sandy Horn from The Spoons. One of the catchiest things in 80s music came about because they were rushed, they didn't have time to finish lyrics, so they threw it in. Love that stuff. Up next, we'll talk about more things on a Good News Friday. Lori De Silva is going to join us, general manager of the London Convention Center. I don't know if you've seen their numbers. They've been out, but it shows the success that they've been having. How have they been doing it? We'll find out. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. We have more music in about 15 minutes from now. Mark Jordan is going to join us. This guy has been a Canadian icon both in front and in behind the scenes as one of the greatest songwriters that this country has. So we'll talk with him about all kinds of music-related stuff. We're also going to look at the hockey story of the sweep in the Ontario Hockey League. Jake Jeffrey will pop by. He's been crunching some numbers on just how many sweeps there have been in the first round of the OHL playoffs. Five, including the London Knights. And again, how to sit on your couch and win a 50-50 draw. That can't happen. You have to be at the game. Not anymore. Not with the Toronto Blue Jays. That's next hour. Right now, joining us in studio, we are lucky enough to have the general manager of the London Convention Center, Lori De Silva, as we look at the economic impact numbers that have come out on 2018 at the London Convention Center. Lori, thanks for being here. Actually, when you look at these numbers, what jumps right out to you? So last year in 2018, we had our best year ever from an economic impact point of view, um, over $21 million in economic impact. And that comes from about uh, 300 events that we hosted. And I guess the thing for people to understand is with those events, many of them are galas and one-day events, but a lot of them are those multi-day events that people don't maybe perhaps know so much about. Um, associations, organizations who are coming in for multiple days. And when they come in, they're spending money in travel, coming into the city. They're spending money in hotels. They're perhaps going out for dinner, buying some gifts, grabbing a Tim Hortons coffee. So all those dollars are being left in the community. And in addition to what they actually spend in our building, we calculate what that economic impact would be for the community. So last year it was $21.3 million. $21.3 million. I mean, that's... To me, that sounds like a really big number. You deal in big numbers. Is that a big number? Um, For us, it's a big number, for sure. Now, we know each delegate when they're 
coming and staying overnight, they spend about $340 per day. So that's in their hotel room rate and again, those travel and other dollars. So when you calculate that we had in our building, you know, almost 127,000 what we call delegate days. Those are people who come in the building. Sometimes they're unique coming for a one day. Sometimes that delegate day is coming same person over three days. But we calculate how many people actually walk in the building and how many dollars are spent in the community. Laurie De Silva with us, General Manager at the London Convention Centre. As we look at the economic impact, and you probably heard Laurie say it, record economic impact for the London Convention Centre going back through last year. $21.3 million for the City of London, and that goes into the Ministry of Ontario's Tourism Regional Economic Impact Model. So sounds like a lot of math that none of us have to do. Somebody's done that for us. When we look at other convention centers, we sometimes hear that they have difficulty attracting events and there's a lot of, of I don't know whether you call them blank days or dark days or, or whatever it is when the lights are kind of off. You look at the number of events hosted in 2018, there's almost one per calendar day. There is for sure. And I mean, our occupancy though was in the 70s, which is a high number for us for occupancy. But you're right, Mike, with, with any event, there's move-in days, there's move-out days, and there are days in between. And if you think about it, not too many people are holding big events um, around special occasion weekends. You know, so Easter weekend, Christmas, those types of things are really hard for us to sell events. Um, So we take those dates out and really look at our occupancy and say, yeah, we were busy last year. Yeah, that's that is impressive, especially when you take out other days that, yeah, you're right. Nobody's going to a convention or some kind of gala on Christmas Day. That's just not happening. We've got other things that we're up to. Now, in terms of the, the types of events that you do wind up attracting, you've got some that involve people coming not just from around the province, around the country, around the world. Absolutely. So uh, a couple of keynote events that stood out for us last year were the uh, Global Student Leadership Day. They had about 2,000 students from all different countries all over, and and they're coming back, and they're wanting to grow that. So uh, that was a really exciting thing. TennoCon, which is hosted by uh, Digital Extremes here in London, they bring in people from all over the globe as well, people who are interested in their Warframe game. Um, and that is uh, continues to be held in London, and it's so exciting to have them coming in July again. Um, we also had the, um, sounds a little bit different, but it was the Square and Round Dancers. Square that was, and Round Dancers. Did they have the big parade that was coming through downtown? They did, they did. Um, and this is the second time they've had it in London. But again, people from all over the world were attending that event, and um, lots of fun. Okay, we've got to put something into perspective here because there are a lot of people from London who wind up going to different conventions, different conferences, different events, and you'll sit in Halifax or you'll sit in Edmonton or you name the city, and you don't necessarily realize, you know what, we could bring that to London. How easy is it to make something like that happen or how do you even do it? You know what? We love it when somebody from London is a member of whether it's provincial, national, or international association, when they walk in our building or call us and say, hey, I want to bring my people, my organization, my association to London. That is the best thing for us because we know that person who's involved knows what's needed, um, has the connection, opens the doors, and really can sell it because their heart and soul would be in that. It's much harder for us to go and sell an association on coming to London. 
Um, obviously, if it's a national, we're competing, you know, across the country. If it's provincial, we do a little bit better because you're you're competing with the provincial um, centers. Um, and certainly internationally, it's a tough, tough sell. I mean, we're but but it happens. So what we look at is um, some of the big things that are happening here that attract a lot of attention. So we're working now with Events Canada, and they know that in London we're doing a really great job around the food and beverage production hmm. manufacturing. So it might be a natural to go after an association who's interested, and they know that London's got such a strong presence in that sort of aspect. So it really is a bit a bit of um, science in terms of who we should go after and why, because we're looking at the geography, what's happening here, um, with all our fresh water. There's certainly a good international um, interest from that point of view. But then provincially and nationally, it'd be different interests. Well, whatever you're doing, please keep it up because it's helping this city. Thanks for stopping by and talking about this. Great. Thanks for having me. Laurie De Silva on economic impact of the London Convention Centre. We'll take a break. We'll let you know what's still ahead on London Live next. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. draws, the Blue Jays, the London Knights, sweeps in the first round of the OHL playoffs, and Mark Jordan all ahead on Hour 2 of London Live. Mark Jordan, one of the best songwriters this country has ever produced. He will join us on the show in about seven minutes. You ready? Next, we've got news. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Don't forget, fill up your tanks this weekend. Put gas in them, top them up. You know how they say you're not supposed to go below 50% in your gas tank because that just makes it safe. I think that's more of a winter thing so that if you do get trapped somewhere, you still have your engine and you don't get really, really cold. But this weekend, you need to fill up because April 1st brings in a carbon tax. And then I think, what, a week and a half later, we get the summer gasoline. So that jacks it up. And then they're expecting a rise anyway. So all of these fun prices we've been paying at the pump, fun prices, buck a liter, buck five a liter. Yeah, if you find those fun, they're going away. We're going to see an increase because of carbon tax. We're going to see an increase because of summer gasoline, which is somehow more expensive than winter gasoline. And I know Dan McTagg has explained this to us from GasBuddy.com. I know that he's been able to kind of help us out understanding why winter gas would be less expensive. Wait a minute. There's an additive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, it becomes less expensive. I still don't get it. But we're going to be paying more. So even if you just filled up yesterday, when Sunday comes, just take a tour. Just stop at a pump. Just top that up. You'll save yourself enough money to afford a coffee at some point during the week. So that is on the way. We are also going to talk this hour about what the Toronto Blue Jays have done with their 50-50 draw. It's not just for people going to games anymore. But that's not their slogan. That's not a good slogan. They have much better slogans. What they also have is a minimum of $500,000 available as, I think, the entire 50-50. And it could be more than that coming up this Sunday. So lots of good news there. And this ultimately helps out. When people look at 50-50 draws, sometimes they'll go, wait a minute. Where's the money going? Well, go ahead and look. 
because it tends to help a lot of community programs or community individuals or charities or community teams. They're great things to have. They're great fundraisers. And the Jays look after theirs with the Jays Care Foundation. And with that, they have helped out in a lot of ways in this area. They look at people who are perhaps not born into a situation where they can afford to play team sports, or they've helped out in a big way with Challenger Baseball. You know what? We've got to talk about Challenger Baseball next week. We've talked about this on the show before, but it is an outstanding program, and it deserves all the recognition that it can get. So next week, being now baseball season, don't worry that the Jays didn't get a run yesterday. Don't don't worry. Don't Grow with them. Jump on the bandwagon, and you'll be happy in a couple of years. This is the fun part of the rise in sports. But just just know that it is baseball season, so we'll talk Challenger baseball next week. We're going to talk sweeps, and we'll get details on how you can win a 50-50 sitting on your couch. That's coming up. Right now, we are having an amazing day. Not long ago, we were in conversation with Sandy Horn of The Spoons. We have also been able to meet Andrew Galloway, who's doing incredible things in the way of intervention. If you missed that, you'll be able to hear it on the podcast later on today. Andrew Galloway was a very successful executive of company and then did have drugs in his life and then was watching 60 Minutes, and they were talking about crack cocaine. He didn't watch it and say... Wow, crack cocaine is uh, is quite a problem. He watched it and said, wow, people seem to really go after this drug. There must be a reason I want to try it. Went into his kitchen and made it and became a crack addict. You'll be able to hear that on the podcast if you missed it earlier. As well, if you can't hang with us, you'll be able to hear more from our next guest. We are very lucky to have singer and songwriter, one of Canada's best songwriters period, Mark Jordan. But this guy has also made great music himself throughout his life. Man with no story, living on the edge of history. Please welcome to London Live, Mark Jordan. Mark, I haven't heard that tune in a long time, and I'm adding it to my <laughs> playlist right now. I miss that song. <laughs> That was a while ago. Yeah, yeah, we don't have to talk about how long. we. But we were talking about this last half hour, the fact that even young people now, they don't just live in a one-year span of music. If you look at their playlists, it will span decades. Good music is good incredible. music, right? Yes, it's incredible. Because it's one format now. And so uh, they don't have to have a like a record player or something, although many do. But it's, uh, yeah. Now, great. do you still have a record player? You know, I I resurrected my record player, and I, I keep it up uh, at at the cottage, and and it's um, I, I use it. Well, I many records left. That's the thing. Maybe that's the, yeah. More and more <laughs> you do see them, but it's it's harder and harder to find them. Is it the purest way to listen to music that isn't live music? We always hear that. I don't know. I just think it's a different, slightly different aesthetic. I think records sound different than digital recording. And to some people, it's better. And some people like the clarity of digital, you know, but but some people think it sounds a bit cold. But uh, so it's, I think it's up to the individual, really. But you, the, the, the cool thing is you have the option. 
That's true. That's true. We can we can listen to the the digitized. Let's break it down and see how many songs we can store on our phone, or you can blow it right back up again. We're talking with Mark Jordan on London Live. You're somebody that must have been surrounded by music right from the very start because of your father's involvement with things like that. Was it like that? Where you never remember life without it? I never remember when there wasn't music in the house because my dad. Uh, was a classical singer, but, but he loved all kinds of music, you know. So there was everything from from old uh, Alan Lomax folk and blues records to uh, Tchaikovsky, and uh, so it, and everything in between. So it was constant, and, and and I'm grateful for it. Was there ever a time in your life where you wanted to be something else, firefighter, astronaut, or was it just on the road to music right from the start? Well, I, I was good. I wanted to actually go into film because, you know, every boy, every kid, they, they don't want to do the family business. They don't want to do what your dad does. And and so I, I thought, well, what else could I do? And I, I loved film because I'm, I'm a visual person. So um, I studied film at uh, Brock University for for uh, a year and a half, and and then I just realized, you know what, I want to, I got to do music, can't can't do anything else. So what? You've been about eighteen, nineteen by then. Well, by the time I got out of high school, baby, I was, you know, uh, let me think here. <laughs> I, I was about twenty, actually. Okay, so when <laughs> when do you remember writing your first song where you went, wait a minute, did, I think I have something here? Yes, I do. I do. I learned um, a major seventh chord, G major seven, and I, I fell in love with that chord, and I wrote a song. And um, I'm trying to think of the, what it was called now. I can't even remember what it was called. But I remember writing that song, and I was from that point on. I was doing it every day. Now, putting lyrics to it, music and lyrics, how how different are they? Are they two different sets of writing? You've got to have one before you have the other. Well, you know what um, I, I say this quite often, but but a melody is language as much as language is language. So once you have the melody, you, or even if you're writing lyrics to somebody else's melody, but you have to understand the melody, and you have to understand what the melody itself is saying. And when you know what the melody is saying, then you can just write the song. See what I mean? You can. It's kind of written. We're talking with Mark Jordan. Mark's going to be at Aeolian Hall on April the 4th, which is next week. And you've got new music of your own. We can go back in time a little bit, but let's let's fast forward to the present. And let's talk about what you are doing now and what you have put together. Well, I, I, um, I just did a record of, um, it's a mixed bag. It's everything from uh, Hoagie Carmichael to Lou Reed. And uh, they're just... Songs that uh, I I always wanted to record and songs I always wanted to sing. So there's only two of my own songs, two original songs on the record. But, you know, I did. And I also wanted to sing with an orchestra. 
which I, I never have done, never made a record with an orchestra. So we got the Prague Symphony Orchestra and we made this record and uh, I, uh, I'm, I'm digging it. So how do you do the accompaniment then for touring? Um, well, we have a keyboard and, you know, when we play bigger places, we'll, we'll add a couple of string players, but, but we can cover the whole thing off with the two, with the piano and the, and the keyboards and the rest of the band. We can, we can do a pretty good facsimile and, and it's a, it's a little different, but it's a, the, the live show, I guess a little rockier and the, and the, than the record, but, but you know, that's good for live anyway. We're talking with Mark Jordan on London Live. He'll be at Aeolian Hall on April the 4th. New album's called Both Sides. Mark, you've done a, a lot of great writing in your career, but the songs have gone to other artists. Is that a difficult thing for someone to do where you write a song and then all of a sudden you're not the one recording it, even though you're very capable of doing that, it goes to somebody else? What's that like? Uh, you know what, man? I, I was very, I feel very blessed my life to to have had people record my songs that recorded them and you know the, the first i remember driving down hollywood boulevard i had this shitty old uh oldsmobile cutlass with a torn convertible top and i had no money i was driving down hollywood boulevard and i heard dinah ross singing one of my songs and it, it was it's thrilling it was thrilling for me so uh and then of course rod and all the other Joe Cocker and all the other guys. I mean, I just, uh, I feel very lucky, really. Now, when you have that happen to you, I mean, do you not know that there's a chance Diana Ross might be recording one of your songs, or do you kind of find out like that after the fact? No, I knew she was recording it, but, but I didn't know it was already recorded, and I didn't know it was a single. So, <laughs> so it was a thrill. I, did, I had a, I actually pulled over and I, you know, it was a very, it was a very happy moment. And that was the first big cover I ever had. You mentioned Rod, you were talking about Rod Stewart. You've written songs yeah. for Rod Stewart. You've written songs that go across. You say, you know, it's, it's one format to listen to music now, but there are still genres in the music. You've written for Sawyer Brown, you've written for Bonnie Raitt, and then you've written for Rihanna. I mean, how do you bridge that gap? Well, um, it's just, I, I don't really, I'll tell you, I don't have the, the, the type of talent that, you know, some, some, some guys can say, well, okay, so Rihanna or Madonna or somebody is look, looking for a song. And then there are certain guys, some guys and some girls that can go, oh, well, I know exactly what they want. But I never had that talent. So I always pretended I was writing a song for myself. And that was the way I could make it sound authentic and, and real, you know? And I wasn't pretending to be someone else. And, and so if I, if I thought I was, if I, in my head, I was writing for myself, the songs turned out good. When I tried to write, when I tried to pretend I was, uh, you know, Madonna or something, uh, it didn't work so well. <laughs> Mark Jordan with us on <laughs> London Live. Mark will be at Aeolian Hall on April the 4th next week. 
living in L.A. and working in the music industry, is there a way to describe what each and every day going to work is like? Well, it was, uh, you know, I don't, I don't live in L.A. now. I'm down in Nashville. I, I don't live in Nashville either, but I'm in Nashville now. But uh, it, it, L.A. was, uh, you know, you got in your car and you drove in the traffic. And, and uh, once you were there, you were there for like 12 hours and you didn't want to leave because you had the big commute back home. Everything is about, everything was about the cars. And, and, uh, but it was, um, you know, the, the, the other, one thing about driving, if, if you've read a, that book, uh, what is it called? Uh, living on the left side of your brain or something. Okay. You know, you know, when you drive a car, sometimes you don't remember the last 20 minutes. Sure. Because you're occupying one part of your brain and the rest and the other part of your brain is dreaming. So it's, a, it's kind of creative. So you can use your, your time in the car as sort of creative time and then you get to the studio. So wait a minute. All that we hear about with all of the traffic in L.A. and the 404 and all the congestion, <laughs> that's actually maybe a reason why we so many, see so many success stories in that part of the world? That is a theory that I will put out there. <laughs> that is a fantastic theory. Uh, most fun person to work with collaborating. Who have you run into that you've gone, wow, that was just a good time? Ah, uh, let me think. My recording so stressful. Jay Graydon was a wonderful guy. So he was a very funny guy, and uh, he was always, uh, he always kept it light and and you know he's such a good producer and and um just uh you know whacking crazy guy and 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 he was producing you know i he was producing a lot of bands at the time like manhattan transfer and uh, um just uh, lots and lots of people and uh, so it was uh, always fun to be around him well, Mark, we look forward to you being in London at Aeolian Hall on April the 4th. Thanks yeah. so much for spending some time with us this afternoon. I love that hall, by the way. It's one of the great halls in Canada. Really? It's the best-sounding place. Really? You it's just amazing. made this city's day. Yeah, well, it's amazing. Really? Just the acoustics? Every every musician in Canada knows it, too. Really? Yeah, and just kind and of the, the smaller great, setting, great is that, does that help as well? Uh, what's that? The smaller setting, does that kind of help as well? Maybe, but it, not all small rooms sound good. But it really sounds good, and, you, and they have the most wonderful, Chris, the most wonderful sound man on the planet there. All right, well, I'll make sure and pass that on. I'm sure they've already heard it from, uh, from you and others, but uh, we'll make sure and, uh, and get them that message. Mark, all the best. Thank you. That's Mark Jordan, one of Canada's top songwriters, performers, and he's on his way to London next week. We are on our way to break. We'll return with more on London Live. We're going to talk some some London nights, but not so much even London nights. Just looking at the way that this particular playoff is shaping up, we could see more, well, we've seen more sweeps in the first round than we have seen since 2008. And we could see fewer games played in the first round than maybe any other year in a long time, maybe ever. 
We might not see a game six in the first round of the OHL playoffs. So we'll talk about why that is. We are also going to discuss what the London Knights could be up to next. Who could they face? How good is this going to get? Uh, this stands to get pretty good. And how to win a 50-50 draw that could be worth $500,000 from the comfort of your own couch. Don't get up. This is London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Felix Oje Alassim. Is he a household name yet? Pretty close. If not, hey, there was a time when we were all learning about Denis Shapovalov. Now, Felix Oje Alassim. He's on the court at the moment, and he's taking on John Isner from the United States. And right now, trailing one set to love in the semifinals of the Miami Open, but he's up 3-2 in the second set. Now, this is not a grand slam, so this is best of three. So there's a chance. There's a chance for an all-Canadian final at the Miami Open. That's how good these young tennis players have been in this country. Bianca Andreescu, and then, well, you, you can still throw Milos Raonic in there, and now... Denis Shapovalov and Felix Auger-Alassim, if he can come back and win, and he would need to win this set and the next one to do it, and if Denis Shapovalov can, oh, beat Roger Federer tonight, there's a chance, but he has to play Roger Federer tonight, uh, then we could have an all-Canadian final at the Miami Open. And there are a lot of eyeballs turning toward Canadian tennis for very good reasons. We've got some really good talent. I don't know whether it's the coaching. I have no idea. I think you know what it is? It's it's why does anybody pop up anywhere? Just cuz they do. So we'll follow the rest of that match as the show continues. More to come after news on London Live. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Okay, we can't take musical requests, even though we have had a lot of artists on the show today. The Spoons, Mark Jordan. It's a lot of artists. That's two for a talk show. But we can't take musical requests. You can't call up and say, hey, can I hear Entered Sandman? Uh, that can't happen. We can't play it. We're talk radio. But that doesn't mean we can't take requests. And I think we just got one. We got a request to explain the rules of tennis. I think this is this is perfect because we do have a lot of attention on tennis. When was the last time that somebody talked about the Miami Open? People have been talking about it all week. Why? Because Denis Shapovalov has been doing very well and Felix Auger-Alassime has been doing very well. So, And Bianca Andreescu was there as well. Um, she didn't get as far as, as the other two, but hey, she has gone far in other tournaments. So we had a request to explain the rules of tennis so that we can all kind of enjoy the sport, and you really can. Now, I warn you, I warn you, you have to be careful because if you do get addicted to tennis and you get right into the sport, the Australian Open is not this continent-friendly. Okay, so you'll have to set your alarm for like 2 a.m. And you'll find yourself doing that. Oh, did you see when they're playing that match? Ah, I'm going to have to get up at 2 a.m. or try and stay up till 4. Ah, what should I do? That kind of thing does go on for tennis fans in North America. So I'm, I warned you once. Also, I'm not the guy who should be explaining rules to anything. 
So we will get an expert on, and they will explain the basic rules of tennis. We're going to do this next week. We're going to do a Tennis 101 show. Not the whole show, just a little bit of the show. I don't think there are that many rules in tennis. But a Tennis 101 show. I wonder if John McEnroe's free. He'd be, he'd be fun to have on. Uh, I don't think we're getting John McEnroe. But Tennis 101 next week on London Live. Mark that down. We're doing that. Right now, let's talk about first round of the OHL playoffs 101. Because this has been a little odd. There have been some things happening. Because a round one normally extends into almost two weeks. That's how long you have to play your series. Jake Jeffrey joins us. If you don't know, we're going to tell you now. Jake and I do the Around the OHL podcast, and you can get that every week on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Great story with Mike Lerner that we heard last week on London Live. If you missed that, you can get it on the podcast this week. Lots of other chatter as well. But, Jake, we've got to take a look at this. Uh, A majority of round one is over in a single week. And we've seen five sweeps, and (laughs) we've talked about it in the past. We kind of figured that it was going to be a disproportionate first round because there's eight really, really solid teams, four in either conference, but it's really played out that way. Five sweeps, the other three could all end in five games. Yeah, so this has to be a rarity. I mean, it has to be a rarity. Usually you get at least a game six, and... At least a game seven in the yeah. West in Quebec, we could have series that will try and go eight games. And I was looking back last year, for example, there was three game sixes. There was only two first round sweeps, and in total, there was forty three games. If oh eight series were a sweep, you'd have thirty two, right? If okay. my math is correct. So that's so that as, means that's as small as we can get is thirty two. Thirty two. So there was eleven extra games in two thousand and eighteen, and that's really the case anywhere between eight and eleven extra games. You'd have to go back to 2008, the last time there was no Game 6s. There was four first-round sweeps, and there was 36 games played that year. So if you do the math, there was four sweeps, and the other four were five gamers. So we could still beat that this year. Yeah, because tonight we have Sault Ste. Marie and Owen Sound, and Knights fans can pay attention to that because if Sault Ste. Marie wins, it's London and Guelph in round two. Right now, Sault Ste. Marie leads three games to one. And then also tonight you have North Bay and Niagara, and North Bay happens to trail on that one three games to one, so they must win or they are out. And we should add a note about Ilderton native Matthew Phillip. A lot of people may have been concerned if they had heard that he left last night's game on a stretcher because he did. Yeah, and I got a couple of texts about it today asking about him and a few uh, Twitter messages as well. It looks like he's doing okay. He's been released from hospital. Uh, the team even put out a release. He's going to be day-to-day for now. I think he got some stitches above his eye. He got the, the boot of a skate to his face and had to get carried off in the stretcher. Looking at it, though, I think he's very lucky. Um, yeah. He didn't get any to the blade, I don't think. So it looks like there's uh, they were treating him for maybe a mild concussion. So he's day-to-day as of now. I imagine we won't see him to the second round, especially if Niagara is able to tie that series or uh, finish that series off tonight, then he gets a little bit of a break to that next round. And if, in fact, that's what happens, there will be one series left, and only because it doesn't play game five until tomorrow, and that's Oshawa and Peterborough. That would be the yeah. last great hope for a game six or a game seven in the first round of the OHL playoffs. Well, I mean, you're looking at the last handful of years, there's been 40-plus first-round games every year. We've seen some 
tons of Game 7s, but I was looking back on that 2008 year, and we were talking a bit. That was a bizarre year because there was no Game 6s in the first round. There was actually only two series out of every series during that playoffs that went longer than five games. There was a six-round in the second, or six-game series in the second round, and then the finals that year between Kitchener, Kitchener and Belleville went seven games. And that was the only seven-game series in entire playoffs. And if you recall, it was at one point three nothing Kitchener, and Belleville <laughs> had to climb back to make it a seven-game series. So I imagine going through a playoffs without a seven-game series, it's pretty wild. Yeah. This is junior hockey. Yeah. Lots of crazy things happen. So, all right. Well, we still got ways to go. Yeah, exactly. We'll see what does play out tonight and certainly tomorrow night between Oshawa and Peterborough. But we can look for more of this stuff on AroundTheOHL.com. Yeah, absolutely. I'll be putting something together this weekend. I mean, that's if they, they kind of finish it up. Who knows? Maybe the uh, Owen Sound Attack or the North Bay Battalion or the Peterborough Peter listening right now and want to put this on their, on their board for some motivation. Go for it. But, uh, yeah, it'll be up something on the AroundTheOHL.com, kind of highlighting what an interesting first round this has been. Owen Sound seems a little motivated because as soon as the Knights and the Storm won yesterday, there were all kinds of tweets saying, oh, here we go, London and Guelph series. And Owen Sound had to kind of put up their hands saying, hey, wait, guys, yeah. Yeah. We're, we're still here. We haven't been eliminated by Sault Ste. Marie. We, we, we're still in this. And I made sure to send out that tweet this morning, too. I'm like, all right, guys, it's only if Sault Ste. Marie <laughs> wins that's the case. So we still got a way to go. Yeah. You don't want to count your greyhounds before they get born. I guess is that a way we can go with it? Or, yeah, or attack hatch. before. Do attack hat. It's kind of a bear, so I guess, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we'll see. We'll work on our puns next week. Jake, thanks. Jake Jeffrey in studio. Greyhounds hatch, don't they? Dogs in the eggs with the nest? <sighs> don't ask me about rules of tennis. Definitely do not ask me about animal births. I don't want to be involved in one either this weekend or any other time. We'll take a break. Up next, we will tell you how you can get involved in a 50-50 draw without going to a game where the jackpot is guaranteed to be $500,000. This doesn't make any sense. But it's happening, and the Blue Jays are making it happen. Details next on London Live. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. The 50-50's been around for a while. This is a draw that made sense a long time ago because you get people to buy tickets and then 50% of the proceeds goes to a winner. 50% of the proceeds goes off to a charity, an organization. So 50-50 draws have been evolving and they've evolved again. For a while they started putting them on screens. Somebody won $80,000 once. In a 50-50 of the World Junior Hockey Championship. They got massive. Well, there's a new wrinkle for 50-50s courtesy of the Toronto Blue Jays. And all of this will benefit the Blue Jays Care Foundation. Joining us right now is the executive director of the Blue Jays Care Foundation, Robert Witchell. Robert, happy day two of the regular season. Oh, thanks so much, Mike. See, baseball's great. We can wish happy day 162 eventually, but hey, we've got a lot of time between now and then. And, well, we've got a lot to talk about in terms of opening weekend because 50-50s have been changing a little bit, Robert, and 50-50s are becoming, are becoming more and more interesting. We see 50-50 totals put up on scoreboards, and we've seen some immense jackpots all over the place. You've got kind of a different wrinkle to it. So how does this work? Well, uh, we have been uh, the most successful franchise in Major League Baseball in terms of uh, raising funds for our programs, uh, which we operate all across the country. Um, 
through our 50-50 program. And uh, this year, um, we were allowed for the very first time uh, to sell tickets online. So to celebrate that and to celebrate the fact that fans, not only in the stadium, but now all across Ontario, can participate in our 50-50 draws um, online, uh, we said, okay, we're going to put a, a stake in the ground and we're going to guarantee a half a million dollar prize um, on Sunday of uh, the Sunday of our home opener series. So uh, this Sunday, um, we are going to award a minimum of $500,000. I think the pot is currently at two seventy-five and change. Um, and uh, we're selling both online and in stadiums. So we're combining all of those, uh, all of those tickets into one gigantic jackpot, and we're making MLB history. No one uh, in the history of uh, Major League Baseball has awarded a prize this big. I think everybody listening has dollar signs in their eyes right now. This is <laughs> this is wild because you think about how big the jackpots get if you are actually in the stadium and now we're incorporating everybody who might be watching or listening on 980 CFPL or other affiliates. That's this is a this is a big province. Anybody is kind of eligible. What a, how far does this go? Can anybody anywhere get involved? Uh, as long as you are in the province of Ontario and you are 18 years of age or older, uh, you are eligible to uh, take part. So you go to jayscare.com forward slash 5050 and uh, you can buy yourself a ticket. And, um, you know, 5050s in Canada especially are part of the culture. Uh, it's a lot of fun. People come to the game, they grab a beer, a hot dog, and a 5050 ticket. And um, sometimes they're buying from their favorite sellers. Uh, now people are able uh, to watch the game and uh, feel that excitement of the 50-50, knowing that their funds are going to um, help a lot of kids who uh, uh, are great but are, are sort of facing two strikes uh, when they get up to the plate. Um, so uh, it's, it's kind of a win-win-win. We're talking with Robert Witchell, Executive Director of the Jays Care Foundation, about the fact that anybody in Ontario can get in on the 50-50 at Jays Games. And I think you probably heard Robert say it, but just in case, can you say it again? How much is the guaranteed jackpot on Sunday, the 50-50 jackpot? <laughs> Mike, we are guaranteeing a prize of half a million dollars, and we're hoping it gets more than that. So um, anyone can buy 724. I think we're selling up to about the fifth inning on Sunday. Uh, we're cutting off sales a little bit early just because we have a ton of uh, people who have bought, and we want to make sure that the, the draw goes off without a hitch. So uh, uh, fifth inning um, on Sunday, uh, you can buy your tickets until, and uh, but you know, don't, don't have to wait. Uh, participate uh, today. You're welcome to be at the game, obviously, but if you aren't, how do you find out what the 50-50 winning number is? Uh, you can go on our social media, uh, jayscare.com, at uh, uh, jayscare on Twitter, and we'll be announcing the number there. If you buy online, uh, we will be contacting you as well, so you don't have to worry about uh, uh, being there for the draw, but uh, it's going to be pretty exciting. So I think uh, we're going to have a ton of people uh, keeping an eye out to see what number is drawn. And then we have the opportunity right now to kind of talk about the other side of this because it's one thing to be able to buy a ticket like you say. It goes with the hot dog and the beer. You get your 50-50 ticket and you're set to take in the game. But let's talk about the other side of this because obviously – 
the more money that is spent on 50-50 tickets, the more Jay's Care Foundation has to make use of. And you talked about kids, and you really focus in on kids. Give us an example of, of where Jay's Care Foundation steps in and what you do with the proceeds. Well, we've got a number of programs that we run for kids who are facing barriers in their lives. And like you said, that's our focus. It's kids, youth, um, kids who through no fault of their own uh, have have kind of a higher uh, hill to climb. And so uh, we're working with kids who live who are living at or below the poverty line. Uh, we have programs designed especially for them. We have programs for kids living with disabilities. In fact, in London, uh, we have uh, what we call Challenger Baseball, and there's a great program there. They play at McMahon Park, and um, I believe the season's opening at the end of May, and you can register now online. So this is for any uh, kid living with a disability, whether physical or cognitive disability, and um, there are 5,000 athletes across the country who participate in Challenger Baseball, and that's a program that we run in, in uh, partnership with Baseball Canada and Little League Canada, and uh, it gives all kids the opportunity uh, to play, um, participate on a team, um, get all of those things that, um, all those benefits that, that you learn from being on a team. And, and, and there are some shocking statistics about kids uh, living with disabilities who don't have the opportunity to play on a team um, and don't get the benefits of that. And, um, you know, nutrition is really important uh, for kids living with disabilities as well. So uh, this program not only um, is designed to give kids the those leadership opportunities and those uh, team building opportunities and really uh, uh, it's designed to help kids become more independent um, but also uh, we focus on nutrition as well. Robert Witchell, Executive Director of Jay's Care Foundation joining us and if you look at the money that Jay's Care Foundation has been able to put into programs even in just this area, I mean how much have you been able to put into London and surrounding areas so far? Well, uh, I think over the last five or six years, we've invested over a quarter of a million dollars, and that's um, those are just grants that we've made. Uh, that doesn't include the actual programming, but we helped, um, I think it was in 2014, uh, uh, with the Municipality of Thames uh, Baseball Complex. Um, we've made a big grant um, in St. Mary's to the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame, um, smaller grants to the University of Western Ontario, and um, uh, even the London Community Chaplaincy uh, we've supported in the past. So um, we really uh, uh, have an emphasis. It's very important to uh, the Blue Jays organization um, to invest all across the country because uh, we know that we have fans um, not just in the GTA, but uh, in London, throughout Ontario, and across uh, the country. And so... um, uh, you know, we're, we're investing even in, in um, I think we have partnerships now in, in almost 100 First Nations. And so creating programs for First Nations kids uh, to get better connected to their culture, play the game of baseball, and uh, learn all the life skills that you do on the field.
Jays Care 50-50 tickets can now be purchased online by anyone over the age of 18 or 18 and over anywhere in the province of Ontario. Guaranteed jackpot, as Robert has said, of $500,000 for this Sunday. And this will help the Jays Care Foundation to do more of the great work it has been doing. And it could help you to win a great big jackpot. Robert, thank you so much for outlining all of this and enjoy opening weekend. Thank you, sir. Uh, it has been a pleasure. And remember, jayscare.com forward slash 5050 to get your tickets. And uh, we can't wait to see who, who, who wins. Maybe someone in the London area. I'm punching that into my phone right now. Can it be me, even though I've just done this interview? Is that okay? Am I, am I still eligible? You are 100% eligible. Go buy your tickets, Mike. jayscare.com slash 5050. All right. I'm in the process of doing it. <laughs> Robert, thanks so much. Thank you, sir. Robert Witchell, Executive Director, Blue Jays Care Foundation. This is actually really easy. Okay, let's take a break. Back to close out the show in a moment. This is London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Felix Auger-Alassime in the second set of the Miami Open in the semifinals. He had a 5-3 lead. He had a 5-3 lead in the first set, too. And now this one, like the first set, has gone to a tiebreak, and he is facing match point. So we'll update you in sports as to how that finishes up. But Felix Auger-Alassime is in tough against John Isner. Again, in a tiebreak, and he needs to win this set to stay in it in the semis. Denis Shapovalov takes on Roger Federer later on tonight in another men's semi. Thanks to all of our guests today, Sandy Horn from the Spoons, also to Mark Jordan, Laurie De Silva from the London Convention Center, Robert Witchell, Jake Jeffrey, Dr. Don Kerr, Andrew Galloway. It's been fun. It's been a good news Friday. We have news coming up next with Jacqueline LaBelle and Matt Trevithick. Thanks to Andrew Graham for his help. London Live brought to you by Courtesy Ford Lincoln at 684 Warncliffe Road South. News, sports, weather, and more on the way on Global News Radio 980 CFPL.